Pacifica Radio in, in San Francisco. In San Francisco. This, is this is Flashpoints. I'm Dennis Bernstein. Today on the show, on the show fighting, fighting in Ukraine continues to risk a nuclear explosion. Meanwhile, Meanwhile tens of thousands of Ukrainians on the run, on the run from, invading from invading Russian forces, sheltering, sheltering in makeshift bomb, bomb shelters. And, and the Flashpoints flash election crimes bulletin returned with Greg Palace. And, uh, and he uh, says we got an economic solution to restrain the Russian invasion in Ukraine. It's called Venezuela. All this coming up straight ahead on Flashpoints. Stay tuned. And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. We were having some technical uh, problems there in the opening, uh, but we are glad to have you with us today. We broadcast every weekday over the Pacifica Radio Network. This is the Flashpoint Show. Uh, tonight we're coming to you from the San Francisco Bay Area. San Francisco also welcoming Los Angeles and the rest of the country. Uh, and we begin uh, by welcoming back to these airwaves a very fine investigative reporter, Dave Lindorf. Uh, and, uh, well, Dave, welcome back to Flashpoints. Uh, you've got two pieces I'm very interested in. I, I have to ask you, uh, one of the pieces is don't be too mad about mad. That's uh, the policy mutually, uh, mutually uh, assured destruction. Somehow it's kept us from a nuclear war for 77 years. Are, are you telling us uh, that you feel safer now uh, than ever now that there's a hot war going on around Chernobyl and other nuclear reactors like it? Well, forget the nuclear reactor because that's not what MAD's about, but uh, this is about nuclear war. I mean, I, I'm struck by how uh, unconcerned most people are. I lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis, and I remember my dad taking me to a bomb shelters uh, uh, builder, and we all were looking at it, and my dad climbed down into it in the engineer, and he came out shaking his head, and he said, if I had to spend a month or three months in there with my three kids, he said, I'd rather be out under the bomb. <laughs> and, and so, But, uh, you know, people were panicked. People were going and buying bomb shelters and putting them in their backyards. There's nothing like that now because everybody knows that nuclear powers aren't going to fight against each other because it'll quickly turn into a nuclear war. And that's why Biden said, we're not going to defend Ukraine and why all the NATO countries agreed. We're not going to send troops to fight the Russians in Ukraine. It's not worth it. And they didn't mean it's not worth defending Ukraine. They meant you know, it's not worth the risk of a nuclear war. Well, uh, right now there's a hot war happening on the ground in Ukraine. Uh, and it is happening around uh, these reactors that can easily turn into uh, bombs. Uh, you've been reporting about this in various forms for many years. Uh, and we're going to keep reporting on that. But I, I really did want to get you in you've got a piece uh, welcome to the new new world order not like the old new world order and the subtitle is russia decides it too like the u.s is an exceptional nation now you don't mean to excuse uh putin's uh, invasion into a civilian population uh which is going to uh, cause 
endless suffering, damage, and really put us pretty close uh, to a potential nuclear war. But but tell us about this, uh, uh, what uh, you mean by exceptional nation and what that has to do with any of this. Well, America calls itself the exceptional nation, and they use that as an excuse to say it's all right when we invade another country. We don't need to get Security Council approval to, to uh, invade another country like Iraq or Afghanistan or Somalia or Panama or Grenada or, you know, I can't go on and on. All the countries we've, we've attacked without any legality because we're the exceptional nation. If we do it, it is good. Now, that, what that is, is might makes right. And, uh, and up to now, uh, we haven't had you know, other major powers like Russia and China doing that. Uh, they haven't stepped into another country and tried to take it over. Um, and what's, what's unique is the United States has, that's been our MO since, uh, the Korean War, which is the only war since World War II that we actually sought and got UN Security Council approval to, uh, go into. So, um, so Russia has, in this instance, uh, decided that it's an exceptional nation. It doesn't have any authorization to go in. It's doing an illegal war. It is an illegal war, and uh, and I don't support it. But I'm saying that, you know, what we have done is created a situation where we abuse the, the international law, and now Russia is in the same position we are. They are the powerful uh, force in the, that region, and they are doing it because they can. And we have absolutely no moral authority to condemn it because we do it all the time. That's my point. And I think China will probably follow suit in Taiwan eventually. And and they, you notice that they're not criticizing Russia for doing it. They didn't. Uh, they they abstained from this resolution condemning Russia for its invasion because. Um, you know, they're going to be the next power that's going to call themselves exceptional. And that's the way the world's going to go unless we turn around and say, okay, we have to follow what Blinken lyingly calls the, uh, you know, rules-based international order. We don't follow a rules-based. We, we're asking people to follow our rules, not international law. Of course, and... Again, to be clear, none of this, which is all true, uh, has anything to do with the outrageous and deadly nature of Putin's apparent uh, idea now to sort of recapture uh, the Soviet Union. This isn't about him, his concern about NATO anymore. He is, he apparently is going to take back Ukraine. Uh, this is going to be, uh, this is his dream, uh, part of his dream of bringing back, uh, the old Soviet Union. This isn't, again, to excuse the U.S. that just left a 20 year occupation in Afghanistan, uh, and turned the screws on one of the poorest people in the world after destroying the country. We see that there's now absolute famine happening in Afghanistan as a result of U.S. policy. And in fact, 
The president of the United States is turning the screws further, taking actions to make sure that people on the ground suffer after the 20 year U.S. occupation. So we got there. You know, there's some there are there are no examples of good behavior. And I have to say, I get really nervous when I hear one retired general after another retired general start talking about various battalions and air forces and jets and planes and stuff like that um, uh, because of course you know we're going to have to double the, the the defense budget again and still have one more generation of nuclear weapons again uh, in, in a way this world uh, sort of led the way to a Putin uh, sort of global oil politics uh, uh, really oil calls the shots it doesn't matter you know from what country you are watching uh, and it's about resources oil and controlling the global flow of resources and that is what is going on and it you know we then we can talk about you know the difference between Putin and other uh, leaders who aren't as aggressive and uh, sort of uh, don't have the KGB type training that he has. Yeah, well, I don't know how relevant that is, but you know his, his training in KGB. But uh, but I I think that it's clear that I mean, after all, we've had CIA presidents too. Like, uh, no, George, this is what I'm w. saying. Bush. That's the point, Dave. That that's all we've had is like CIA presidents and national yeah. security type people and you know and we're moving more and more toward that corporate structure of control which transcends governments right it, you know it's yeah, that's not right. I mean, communism we might have pompeo next <laughs> who knows yeah, right. uh, but all right but, what else do we need to say here exceptionalism well, what are the I, dangers well, the, the danger of exceptionalism is that uh, it, it's the rule of the powerful uh, who are are totally a free hand to do what they want. And and that, you know, the United States as an exceptional nation, the most powerful nation, it should be our obligation to set the standard of the, of good behavior, not to be the worst. And we have been, in terms of numbers killed, in terms of numbers of wars fought, uh, you name it, uh, we have been the worst uh, offender, the worst rogue nation since World War II. We've killed over six million people in wars that we've started. Uh, Didn't the U.S. do some bombing in Africa? Six million in two wars, really. Dave, didn't didn't never mind all those old wars. Didn't the hasn't the U.S. been bombing in Africa lately? Oh, yeah. yeah, in, in um, Somalia, in in, uh, in um, Niger, in uh, Niger, I guess it's called. But those are um, just they're just hitting combatants. They're not killing c- civilians and destroying the environment. Uh, I can't. Speak I, I'm to sorry. I'm cynical here. Go on. <laughs> You know, no, I, I, you know, my, my, my friend, the late Robert Knight, also, he, he often used to reflect and actually did some reporting on what the ozone layer might look like over Iraq. Yeah, who, exactly. I uh, mean, look, might look at be the, responsible that, for that. Yeah. You remember all yeah. those wells that got ignited by Saddam Hussein? 
um, as a as a retaliation to the U.S. invasion of Kuwait. As oh, I remember them. fires. Yeah, I mean, okay, Saddam Hussein did that, but he did it because we attacked Kuwait, and and that was the one that was the attack we did. Um, you know, because of uh, this claim that. Uh, you know, babies were being ripped out of uh, out of uh, incubators. Out of and stuff, incubators, all, another fake story fake. leading us into it's war. I, I have to go now. I have to go now. But it's interesting you bring up that the story about the oil well fires because I uh, broke a, a story with Sandy Close when went all over the world in the Pacific News Service that showed uh, that we we got a, a hold of a 500 page Pentagon paper uh, they were preparing for the war uh, against Kuwait and they knew that those oil well fires uh, th- that would be like part of the justification for the war and the making. It, okay, they knew so. They were so sure that the, the that those oil wells would be lit on fire that the the Pentagon papers that we obtained and broke showed how they had already identified a whole bunch of oil well firefighting companies, special firefighting companies uh, that they were ready to put out the fires. I, I, you know, oh, yeah, Red Adair and, and all those guys were shipped over there to to try to put them out. They couldn't. It just. It just goes on and on. We have to leave it there. Dave Lindorf, thank you. Uh, I, I'm worried about the nukes at a lot of different levels, and we're going to continue to report on that as well. Uh, we appreciate you joining us on Flashpoints. Please stay safe. And you are listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. We're going to take a short break, and hopefully we will have our technical ducks in line because... Uh, we were getting this feedback that almost took the top of my head off. There's not much of it left. We'll be right back. Listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. This is your daily investigative news magazine now, live every day on KPFA in the San Francisco Bay Area and KPFK in Los Angeles. Uh, speaking of Los Angeles, we have a guest joining us from on the ground at KPFK. Uh, his name, uh, maybe you never heard, you, perhaps you never heard of His name is. Uh, what is this thing? Oh, Greg Palast. Greg Palast, <laughs> investigative reporter. Greg Palast, gregpalast.com. We've been working together th- since 2000 when Greg started trying to alert the world from another continent uh, that uh, there was an election being stolen in Florida. He did it for the BBC. 
NBC, but not the ABC, because apparently they, along with CBS, weren't all that interested in that part of the story, that elections get stolen in America. Well, that has evolved, and so we evolved into what we now call the Election Crimes Bulletin. This whole election is being rigged. The election is being rigged. It's totally rigged. Yes, Donald. It's rigged because your cronies rigged it. So says Rolling Stone investigative reporter Greg Pallast. You're removing black voters from the voter rolls just so you can win this election? We will treat those people from January 6th fairly. And if it requires pardons, we will give them pardons. So you didn't call him, but you challenged his right to vote or have his ballot challenged. Sir, get out of my house. Okay, I will get, get out, out of, of your house. house. I just... Now. It's now time for your Election Crimes Bulletin with Greg Pallast. And welcome, Greg. How are you doing? Now, I understand uh, you've got a piece up on the website now. Venezuela can bring Putin to his knees. And you are going to put together U.S. punishing U.S. policy against Venezuela has uh, plays a part in this that would need to change and how if we really had a different relationship with Venezuela it could deeply impact Putin's ability to uh, control stuff by his uh, use and his access to huge amounts of oil and oil resources. Well, you said my story. I guess I have nothing left to say. No, this, right, is, uh, this is Greg, Greg Palace reporting. Yes, at gregpalace.com, you can catch uh, a little more of this report. But I want to explain why this is the Election Crimes Bulletin. If you remember, Dennis, last week on the Election Crimes Bulletin, I talked about how uh, a lot of the uh, problems we have, problem, the, the horror show that, that uh, we have in Ukraine right now, began with a rigged election. That is, with a um, the election of a pro-Russian president. He was fairly elected first in 2010 when the U.S. said, yeah, it was a fair election. But then when he turned to Russia at, uh, in 14, Yanukovych, or Yanukovych, um, we decided that he was illegitimate and we supported an insurrection just like January 6th. The difference being that in that case, we successfully overthrew the elected president. That began the split of Ukraine into Russian and Ukrainian ethnic centers and religious centers. And and that led to the civil war we have today. And now the tanks are rolling. So you can't take away the issue of Ukraine and world geopolitics without discussing democracy. And now we go to the other side of a planet where the situation in Ukraine could be completely different if the U.S. would respect democracies in our own backyard, not just Ukraine, but respect the democratic decisions of the people of Venezuela. What is this about? Right now, you're paying heavy at the pump, and Ukrainians are paying heavily on the front lines because... Uh, all this mayhem has led to a massive increase in the price of, of oil. Now uh, the Brent, Brent crude is dancing around 100 bucks a barrel up and down, um, double what it normally is. And why? Because there's a, a crimp in the supply of oil. Germany has reluctantly said it will not take gas from Nord Stream 2, which is not complete, but still taking gas from Nord Stream 1. It's taking 1.9 trillion cubic feet of gas a year from the Russians. That's um, half of half of uh, Europe's um, 
uh, gas supply for power and for heating. Now, why is this happening? Because and the price of oil is at 100 bucks a barrel because there's a shortage of supply, and it goes back to a simple thing. We are embargoing the oil from Venezuela. Venezuela, according to OPEC uh, analysis, has the largest oil supplies on the planet by far, about three times as much as Saudi Arabia. But we are, the United States, when I say we, the United States and Western Europe are embargoing Venezuela, its gas and its oil, and it goes, and we are laying siege to that country. By the way, an embargo is an act of war. We have stopped anything from going into Venezuela, that is, parts to keep their oil industry alive, so it's barely producing oil, not very much. Um, and, of course, not only parts for industry to stay alive, but food for people to stay alive. There is starvation right now in Venezuela. It is a grim situation. People don't have medicine. People don't have food. They don't have the medicine to fight COVID, etc. They are not, they have been cut off the Swiss, uh, SWIFT system. They are not allowed to get payments so that they can buy medicine. Now, this is a nation, in addition, just so you know, we've seized their, unlike Russia, where we have not seized their assets, we've seized Venezuela's, the state of Venezuela's assets and put them under the control of a guy named Juan Guaido, who we recognize as president, just the way the, that Putin has recognizes rump leaders in Ukraine. The United States recognizes this guy named Juan Guaido in Venezuela, who never, they say he's the president, Biden has recognized him and so has Western Europe. This was started by Donald Trump. Now, I don't know when Biden decided that Donald Trump was a great foreign policy genius. But if we get our foot off of Venezuela's neck, take the noose off of Venezuela from around Venezuela's neck, that is the embargo and the siege and the impossibility of their um, sending two million barrels a day of oil out. If we could get those two million barrels a day and uh, a half a million, half a trillion cubic feet of gas, the price of oil and gas would plummet it would i mean within 20 minutes of biden announcing the that we're going to end the embargo on venezuela i guarantee you 20 minutes the price of oil will be uh, um will will fall by 50 percent i've been an right. oil economist a long time so we don't recognize the fact that venezuela has properly elected whether we like him or not nicolas maduro as their president the successor of hugo chavez and we will not recognize him, and therefore, and we are blockading this nation, denying ourselves. We are the number one consumer of Venezuela's oil, that is the United States. Two million barrels a day. If we had that oil, believe me, Putin would have a tough time rolling his tanks. He can't afford. That's where he's making his money. Okay. Let me, let me come in here, first of all, and say you're listening mm-hmm. to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. We're delighted to be joined again by Greg Palast. We do the Election Crimes Bulletin, the Flashpoints Election Crimes Bulletin with Greg Palast every week. Uh, we've been doing it uh, this way, in a focused way, since 2016. We've had the privilege of working with Greg back to 2000. Uh, and, uh, well, this is sort of... T- takes us uh, uh, into the international uh, t- uh, arena, but Greg is good at uh, finances wherever it's happening, and that's part of his genius to, to be able to understand the financial side of this. But I have to say to you, uh, you know, my kids in the South Bronx, you know, I'd say, if you would, uh, and they say, if ifs were fifths, we'd all be drunk. So there's this big if 
with Venezuela. I mean, let's face it, Greg, at a higher level, uh, the folks who want to work with Putin want to work with Joe Manchin. And they don't, their, their politics are at a different level. So I'm thinking they're not going to be anxious to do, uh, to follow your vision for Venezuela and holding uh, uh, Putin accountable. Okay, let's, that's a very important point. Unfortunately, while it was Donald Trump who recognized this, this uh, rich white guy from Washington, D.C., he's not live in Venezuela, from Washington, D.C., as the president who never even ran, let alone got elected. So he didn't respect that democracy. That was Trump. But the Democrats, uh, Pelosi, uh, a- uh, Amy Klobuchar, Senator Klobuchar, um, have, on the other hand, they, Klobuchar actually said that Trump didn't go far enough in embargoing, brutalizing, sabotaging the economy of Venezuela. But here's the thing. Who's being sabotaged? By bottling up two million barrels of oil a day. We are paying dearly at the pump, and the Ukrainians are paying dearly um, under those uh, gunships. So, and why are we doing this? You have to ask why we're doing this. Okay. Supposedly, we're claiming, even though we're not recognizing the elected president of, of Venezuela, we're claiming that they're not a democracy. That's why we can't take their oil. That's why we can't let them have food or spare parts or medicine or anything else, because they're not a real democracy. So instead, we get our oil... Dennis, from those real democracies known as Saudi Arabia, Kazakhstan, Qatar, and by the way, the number one supplier, Russia. So these are the great democracies that we are getting our hydrocarbon from as opposed to Venezuela. Look, I, as some people know, and you know, I covered Venezuela for BBC television and The Guardian. I was down there quite a bit and, you know, got to know not only Hugo Chavez, but uh, his successor, um, Nicolas Maduro, who, by the way, came to see me and uh, visit me in New York. And um, I got to tell you right now, Maduro's never been my cup of tea, but it doesn't matter. He was elected by the people. And I can tell you, I was down there observing the elections. Elections are what Greg Palast does. And believe me, whether we like it or not, Maduro was the choice of the people. Right now, he's not that popular because, hey, there's an embargo. People don't have nothing there. They're under siege. But the one thing that they are not going to do is is elect a president or, or accept as a president an unelected guy appointed by Donald Trump, some rich white guy out of Washington in a nation which is majority overwhelmingly mestizo. They're not going to go back to the old apartheid in Venezuela. But the important thing is that when we don't respect democracy, and your last guest was kind of bringing up this point. We don't respect democracy in Venezuela, and then we demand that Russia respects democracy in Ukraine. Um, you know, we didn't respect democracy in Ukraine in 14. Now we're paying the price when Putin says, well, we don't care who's elected president. Zelensky's clearly uh, the president of Ukraine. Is, uh, has no one doubts that he was fairly elected, um, and by all the different ethnic groups of, uh, of Ukraine. Uh, but again... The United States, if we would if we would make democracy our first concern right now, Putin would not have a, a lot of money uh, to run his tanks. Keep in mind that the more mayhem there is, the more he makes. In fact, I've calculated that the windfall of a hundred dollar barrel oil versus fifty dollar barrel oil, and also 
That changes the price of, of uh, natural gas. Putin is making a windfall of half a billion dollars a day. We're getting close to over a quarter trillion dollar windfall this year if this mayhem keeps up. And we can end it by saying, hey, Putin, we'll make a deal. Why don't you recognize the elected president of Ukraine, Mr. Zelensky, and we'll recognize the elected president of Venezuela, Mr. Maduro. And that would crash the price of oil. So Putin's not going to do it. But we should because we are. If, if you know, there's like your last guest, there's two ways to read exceptionalism. And one way is that we have an obligation. Our exceptionalism, if we believe it, that we are the, the shining city on the hill, the beacon of democracy, well, let freedom ring in Ukraine and let freedom ring in Venezuela. We are killing this nation and it's bouncing back on us. And it's bouncing back on the Ukrainians. That is Greg Palace bouncing back at all of us on Flashpoints, on Pacifica Radio. Uh, this is the Election Crimes Bulletin where we deal with, well, ele- uh, crimes uh, uh, relating to elections. And this is uh, certainly an interesting angle uh, to come back to the Election Crimes Bulletin. Uh, Greg, w- there's a whole world of um, dangers facing us in terms of these crucial elections coming up in this country. Uh, and yes. that's certainly something that we're going to have to uh, get back to. But I'm, I want to give you 60 seconds. I hate to change the subject so quickly, but what should we be worried about while we're worried about if there's going to be a, a uh, an accidental uh, nuclear, nuclear atomic yes, well, explosion? Well, there is uh, – Ukraine has nu- uh, nuclear plants, including a giant nuclear plant park. We all know about Chernobyl. I hope you do. That's in Ukraine. That's not Russia. Or it, it, it was Russia until it became Ukraine. And, um, and I – you know, um, and yes, it's incredibly dangerous. We're literally having fighting around the Chernobyl, what's called the sarcophagus, what, the enclosure around that plant, which is, contains – um, you know, massive amount of um, unprocessed radioactive isotopes. If that stuff is released, you know, we can't even measure the deaths because some of them come 20 years later as cancer. And we are going to have to worry about that in the United States as well. That also has to do with elections. Everything comes back to democracy. And we should talk about that on the uh, on the other side of the uh, break at the bottom what of the hour. we're going to do right now, we're going to take a short break. And I... You know, I have to tell you that I, I spent two years investigating what happened at Hanford where, where they made those atomic bombs and what they told the people and didn't tell the people. And they're still stuck with it forever. Anyway, I'm Dennis Bernstein. Honored to be with Greg Palace. Short break. Uh, some of you are going to hear uh, from John Pilger and others of you are going. John and Michael, I want to get your responses. Um you know, to what Stella said and, and what Professor Chomsky said, he he just had to leave. So we bid him farewell. Um, about, uh, you know, this... Nora, <clears throat> before we go yeah. on, um, Stella, can you um, make sure that everybody watching and listening to this has that link of the Yahoo News yeah. story, whether you post it here on your platform, Nora, 
or Stella uh, give us, give the people watching and listening to this a place to go to read this incredibly important uh, story. Great. Yeah. I, um, Lena says that it will be posted. Um, okay, great. Thank so either you. Here on the website. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I want to talk about this, like, you know, in, in John's film, um, uh, you, you talk to someone who says that basically the facts don't matter when you're dealing with the, you know, national security state and especially, you know, the, the so-called war on terror, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what, what the reality is, what the facts are, what matters is what the, what the government, what U.S. imperialism, um, wants to do, what its goal is. Um, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the case of Assange and whistleblowers and, and how, um, the mainstream corporate media is selling this ongoing series of illusions to try and assassinate Julian Assange's character, like Stella said, um, and, and to, to prep us for, for a, a coming war. Listening to Stella's eloquence describing, and I know how difficult it is for her describing the whole sweep of history uh, of Julian. And really, though she was concentrating on this latest revelation, uh, there's so much more. That's, of course, just the surface. And I think what Professor Chomsky was saying and what Stella was saying uh, is something that a mass of people are not going to hear. They'll hear it when a film of Michael's comes out or perhaps when a film of mine uh, comes out, but they won't. So we're a select group. When Professor Chomsky was talking about China and provocation, but the provocation on China uh, is the most dangerous of all. There are 400 US bases surrounding China all the way from Australia up through the Pacific, right through Asia, across Eurasia, co constantly, uh, day after day, US drones, US warplanes, probe Chinese space, almost on a war footing. Almost none of this is reported. And a ridiculous British aircraft carrier and uh, the usual fleet of provocative American ships turn up in the South China Sea, and that is news. Now, I, I, I'm sure we could be here all night if we were going to end up criticizing the news because we've done all done that. Uh, but, but really, it's why are these, why are these myths? Why is the myth that China is a threat still understood by, uh, by most people? Why is there a criminal silence? Has there, has there been a criminal silence for the last 10, 11 years over the crime done to Julian Assange and the great public service performed by Julian Assange? I mean, the last hearing, I remember, uh, and Stella will be so used to this, uh, was on August the 11th. I don't remember... There were, there, there appeared to be a lot of press there, but they were press from what we used to call without 
it's sounding pejorative, but I hope it doesn't, the alternative press. Uh, the BBC turned up for one day and decided they were bored. And in fact, the BBC correspondent said it was all rather repetitive and left. Uh, and the same thing happened at the Old Bailey in September of 2020. So people are not aware of that. And that, and this propaganda by omission, propaganda by silence is, is the greatest threat in my view. Because if we don't know about it, how can we resist it? How can people resist it? Uh, China surely is bad. It's doing bad things to the Uyghurs. The fact that the Uyghurs might, might be might, there might be an entirely different story about the Uyghurs uh, is, is, of course, unmentionable. The Guardian newspaper has a reporter in Taiwan who reports the mainland and all of Asia. She is a, a propagandist. Uh, I mean, propaganda on a level of, of, uh, of Lord Hawhorn, World War II style, but simply not mentioning it. Julian, for, for, for in, the, in the early part of Julian's struggle, when uh, the lies that were told about him were legion, one after the other, that was the coverage. That was the coverage. It was a coverage of lies. Now it's a coverage of silence. And yet everything Stella, Stella says is correct. The, the impact of the judgment of the decision made by the judges on the 27th and 28th of October will have an enormous effect on, uh, uh, well, I know it's, we say the free press, I actually don't believe there is a free press, but it will have an enormous impact on, on the honorable exceptions, the journalists and filmmakers who try to get their work out to a mass audience. So it is that propaganda that really I think is our is our greatest threat. And 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 uh, um, be interesting to hear what Michael says about this because Michael is is a pioneer in breaking through this. Uh, but uh, there are few of us. That's fine. There always, always was few, but um, in, 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 I think we, we can't assume that people have this basic knowledge uh, that, that even when you mention Julian's name to people, now there is, yes, he, what, why is he in prison? They will ask questions. There won't be answers to those questions because there's nothing in the daily media that will give them those answers. Um, I often thought there's two issues in the world that um, maybe there's three now, if we had China, I suppose, but there's two issues that uh, if you understood those, then you understood so much else. One was Julian Assange and the other was Palestine. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, Michael, your thoughts on, on whistleblowers and, and the, the notion of a, a free press and, and how journalists um, should, should be, you know, 
watching what's happening to people like Julian Assange? Well, it all seems so strange to me that um, the New York Times and other publications uh, were very happy to use uh, Julian's um, brave dissemination of the truth. Um, that as soon as, uh, as soon as the orders came down that the uh, narrative had to change, they were very willing to become uh, complicit in the changing of that narrative. I, um, in full disclosure, I, I put up uh, either part or all of Julian's initial bail money. I, um, I um, am putting it up knowing if you understand bail money, you, you, you get the, you get the money back when they uh, show up and knowing that there was a good chance that uh, he might not show up. Uh, I, I, I knew that, I knew that that was a, a, a very um, worthy gift and contribution to this um, uh, and to protect him. I, I visited him there uh, in the uh, embassy, in the, in the little office uh, that he was living in, living as uh, a, a, um, a liberal use of the word lib, uh, uh, living because uh, it was an awful thing to witness, frankly. And um, and I wanted to stay as long as I could because I um, he needs and needed needs still that support and and that um, you know that helping hand. Um, so I would ask uh, anybody who's listening to this uh, that. Uh, if you have found yourself falling for any of the propaganda, um, uh, that you step back and and come back into the light and um, um, uh, be grateful for those who have, with great courage, uh, been willing to tell us and the world what we've been up to and how we tried to pull it off, uh, whether it was invading Afghanistan, invading Iraq, the, uh, the the scene there that uh, there at the beginning of John's film of of uh, footage of us uh, ending the lives of people, just people, and we have so much to pay for and so much to make up for and so much. I'm a big believer in redemption. Um, it has stunned me through my entire American life the lack of a desire to seek redemption to starting with how this country was formed, um, founded in genocide and built on the backs of slaves and, and never, never really uh, coming to terms with that, being honest about it, making up for the descendants of those who made it through and lived barely, but still remain today on the absolute bottom rungs of our American ladder. Um, Black Americans, Native Americans, uh, 
somewhat share that bottom rung and and nothing has allowed them because there are the feet the feats <laughs> the foots of hundreds of millions of Americans white people um, that keep them in that place President Biden had a town hall the other night on CNN and a black man came up to the microphone um, said he was a, a doctoral student at Morgan State uh, University. And um, he thanked uh, the president and said he voted for him and and uh, happy that he won. But we're in the same spot, he said. Nothing really has changed. And um, we have been left behind once again. And what are you going to do about that? And the look on Biden's face. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I don't, I don't want to uh, uh, generalize about elderly people. But one of the great, and there are many great things about the wisdom of the aged, is that they don't have time for bullshit. And they don't want to, they know that it's not a cliche to say that life is short. It is short at that point. And they don't want, and Biden, I've noticed, has no filter now. People watching or listening, you know what I'm talking about, right? Your parents, your grandparents. And there's just something beautiful about this, that he just looked at this guy. He knew the man spoke the truth. And then he just said, you're absolutely right. And, um, I have failed. I, in these first nine months, um, my greatest regret, the greatest regret of my life now is how I've not come through for black Americans and that, that he and the Democrats have let the voting rights thing die. Um, it, it was, um, it was, it was quite a moment, not one you usually see on TV. Um, and frankly, I, I mean, I, I did not. I, I've been opposed to Biden my my adult life. It seems like because he was in the Senate when he was. I think he was elected when he was twenty nine. Um, the things that he has done and stood for. I mean, the the list is long and shameful. Um, that I never expected that that these nine months would include some sort of a pivot, not a not a not a redemption and not a. Uh, let's all, you know, get on the bandwagon and cheer President Biden. But something is happening and something has happened to him personally. I don't know what it is, but I think, and I, for those who are Americans who are watching this, um, we need to not back down one inch right now. We all need to be active, very active. And, um, and, and we can't uh, stop listening to the news media. Uh, the way that they want to frame what's going on now. Well, it's mansion and cinema against, uh, no, stop it. What's going on right now is this is a critical moment for those who believe in capitalism. They know, they know one slight tilt and the end could be near for them. They know that white supremacists know it. 
they know that for the last 11 years, on the first day of school every September, the majority of first graders entering first grade are not white. The country is changing. It has changed the demographics. Uh, and and so the fear with angry in, with inside angry white men in this country is so pronounced right now that um, they believe they're fighting for their lives. So I, um, I, uh, it was great listening to what uh, Noam Chomsky uh, was saying uh, there and John and you're, and if, if people haven't seen this film that was put up today before this, and it's going to be played again after this, uh, please watch uh, John's film. It's, it's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. And I, I want to ask both of you, Oh, and, and both films will screen again on Wednesday uh, as well. I want to ask both of you and, and Stella, um, you know, this, I mean, Michael, I was rewatching your film yesterday. Um, I think, you know, maybe the first time since I saw it in theaters <laughs> so many years ago. And, you know, rewatching um, John Ashcroft singing Let the Eagle Soar really brought back a lot of, <laughs> a lot of just like disbelief at, at the time that you know that yeah. we were all living in that this was actually I wish Americans could could participate in Eurovision song contest <laughs> because uh that would have been a moment right there. <laughs> Don't they already? Surely they must, <laughs> uh, it's got to, they must own it. I mean Israel is in Eurovision for some reason. Oh. So, yeah. I'm going to right, exactly. about the European <laughs> Americans in it. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> so I want to I want to ask you, uh, you know, all three of you to to briefly talk about you know your thoughts on the recent rehabilitation of George W. Bush um, oh. by the leading elites of the Democratic Party, by the corporate media, um, you know, uh, and and how this fits into what we're talking about. No one has been held accountable for any of the atrocities right. that, that both of you filmmakers have, have documented in your films and, and Stella, what you know, Julian has, has disseminated in terms of information. Um, you know, what do you make of this? Watching these films after so many years after you've made them? Well, Bush, Cheney, and Rumsfeld, I think... For many years, I don't know if it's still true, um, really couldn't travel to certain countries for fear that they would be arrested as war criminals. They're still war criminals. And so um, but I, I, I took, I guess, some satisfaction during that time. And if, it, if that time still exists, great, uh, that they are essentially prisoners of this country. Of course, Rumsfeld now is gone. But um, uh that the, you're, I'm not sure exactly what the question is about it. Are you saying like when I watched the film all these years later? Yeah. Yeah. When you rewatch yeah. it or when you, you know, yeah. see these, um, see these pe these war criminals that yeah. have been held to account all these years later, like how, what, what's your reaction? How should we be feeling about this? Well, a boy can hope, first of all, hope never leaves. Um, um, it's still time to do that. I, um, you know, I think I, when I watched uh, uh, Fahrenheit 
9-11 here um, a month or so ago. Um, I put it up for free on the, um, on the internet and uh, with my, uh, with my, I put it on actually on my Substack player so that people could just could watch it uh, for free and um, watching it. I was so moved um, th- remembering, thinking about how on a personal level that, that this film is sort of the anchors of the film are these two women, uh, the, the mother from Flint, Michigan, who lost her son in the first uh, couple of weeks of the, of the war in Iraq and the mother, the, the Iraqi mother who's climbing through the rubble of her home with her dead children, grandchildren, and screaming out to Allah, to God, please deal with these Americans. Please. You're not going to let them get away with us, are you? It's so powerful, you know, to to um, to see that and to realize as an American the kind of grief that we've brought uh, to the world. And... Um, I guess maybe I'm I'm less concerned right now about I mean I I hate the whole revisionist history when it comes to Bush and his cronies, but I'm more concerned with us, the American people. Have we learned our lessons? Just with the with the with the um, defeat, the American defeat in Afghanistan uh, a month or so ago. Um, watching the American media, listening to American voices, it seemed like a lot of Americans haven't learned the lesson. And I just felt so sad thinking that the lesson is still going to have to be learned. And the lesson is first, the first steps of the lesson are who do we, who do we slaughter next? We, the United States of America. Uh, That will have to be the first step before we have a chance to maybe try to learn that lesson again, try one more time to figure it out as to why we are such uh, a, What's the famous line from D.H. Lawrence? The Americans, they're such great killers. Um, for that to for that to no longer be true, uh, this is going to take a lot of work on all of us citizens on our part. Um, otherwise, the world is not safe. The world is not safe from us. Yeah, I agree with that. The world hasn't been safe from America for a very long time. In fact, during my whole lifetime, I have always regarded myself as very lucky to have got to this stage in life, uh, having reported a number of America's wars, not to have been blown to bits by American bombs or the American bomb, the nuclear bomb. And, uh, you know, you were talking about uh, George W. Bush there, Michael, but uh, if Noam was here, I'm sure he'd, perhaps he'd correct me, but I remember, um, and I paraphrase one of his more interesting, well, they're all interesting, but particularly interesting quote about uh, um, uh what if American presidents, all American presidents, were put before the equivalent of a Nuremberg tribunal? Mm. And again, I paraphrase, Noam said something like, well, they'd all be hanged. 
Uh, so they're all war criminals. Mm. Harry Truman was a war criminal. Mm. Uh, the Democratic Party has started more wars than the Republicans have, uh, in spite of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, our whole world is made unsafe by the United States. The word imperialism, which we've used here, uh, is almost never used uh, beyond our milieu, let's say. I would, I would go further and say the word Americanism is not used. The word anti-Americanism has been used. It was used right through the 50s. It's been used against me and it's been used against, I'm sure, against Julian and others. Uh, but the term Americanism, this claiming of the, 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 the cultural brain of the world. There was a film in, in 1990, you remember, called Jerry Maguire, starring, uh, starring uh, Tom Cruise. It starts with a voiceover. It says, from now on, America sets the tone for the world. And that came straight after the Berlin Wall for, fell down. Those of us who don't have a vote in the United States, and even if I had one, I wouldn't want to use it, uh, but uh, um, would like uh, the United States to perhaps... Standing back, it seems there's so much talk. There is so much, there is a lot of resistance. There are so many good people doing good things. But what does it amount to? Yet another war criminal is elected. President Biden actually said, I thought his most remarkable statement, uh, Michael, was uh, a while ago, in which it was put to him, uh, um, uh, some accusation that America went round the world overthrowing governments. He says, that's ridiculous. We've never done that. And that wraps it up for another episode of Flashpoints. Our executive producer is Dennis Bernstein. Senior producers are Miguel Gavilan Molina and Kevin Pina. Technical director is Mike Biggs. For previous episodes, go to kpfa.org or flashpoints.net. For questions or comments, email dennis at kpfa.org. Thank you for listening.